You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. What's spooky with you? It stays. Not sure if this counts as shadow animal or not. All I know is I have asked 31 Wiccans and 22 Santeros and Santeras if they know about this, and it was almost unanimously yes. There are shadow forms that sit up in the corner of the room and kind of quaver and writhe. I've only seen one once. In 1992, I was living in an upper flat with my girlfriend. Downstairs lived my friend Kevin and his partner Steve. One night, my girlfriend screamed, waking me up. She pointed at the ceiling. There was a writhing black mass. It was so dark, it was like a void. We turned the lights on and it just shrank a little, but didn't leave. I ran past it and grabbed sea salt from the kitchen. I threw a handful at the shadow and it instantly disappeared. The next morning, we went downstairs to have coffee with Kevin and Steve. They had had the same experience. Welcome back, you skeptilievers. All you believe eptics. You wishy-washy bastards. We'll work on all that. Uh, gotta find a good term for listeners of the show. All good paranormal podcasts have one. Hey, this is Paranorm Girl. I'm Kristen, and you guys are awesome for joining me once again for another episode. You feel that vibration? Because we shaking it up today, baby. Got some of that good education heading your way. Where no blind believer dares tread. Where no astute student of physical sciences brave enough to enter, we will be talking about the non-paranormal today because we are unafraid to toe that line between truth and belief because we are becoming experts by this point on the shadow folk and are oh so close to our truth on the matter. And how, I ask, can you know that truth if you do not understand the entire subject? I think I'm getting really good at these rambling intros. Gotta, you know, gotta keep you guys on your toes. And hard turn, different topic. Um, I just finished watching the Sir No Face documentary on Amazon. Or, uh, think, think I had to go through Tubi, but either way, it was free. Um, was just bumming around, looking for something to watch, and, and I came across it. Surprisingly, I hadn't heard anything about it. And you guys... This documentary was really great. Uh, Chad Kalick, who is a renowned paranormal investigator, and he's been a, a major player in the ghost hunting field for a while, um, he decided to do this documentary covering some evidence and footage of a full-figure apparition that the West Sydney Paranormal Research Team had captured while on an investigation on Cockatoo Island back in um, 
2015, I, I, I think it was. Um, I've already forgotten the date, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, Chad was questioning whether this footage was real or not, because, of course, no one had ever captured a verifiable full-figure apparition before this. And WSPR's lead investigator, Craig Powell, was claiming it to be 100% real. So Chad goes about doing this deep investigation into whether this footage was real or faked, uh, down to doing background searches of, of all of the members. Um, he did extensive interviews with everyone. Have, he had the footage scoped out and analyzed by professional CGI experts, stuff like that. And his final conclusion was... I'm not going to ruin it. Go watch the goddamn movie. You will not regret it. Um, but when I first saw the footage, when when they finally reveal what's on it, I was like, uh, fake. <laughs> my skeptical believer side jumping right in there. I, I actually said out loud to my roommate, oh, dang, they, they had me right up until that. But I continued to watch continued to listen to the evidence, I going through all of the details and watching and listening as Chad himself is trying to debunk this as a hoax, it, it put me in a really reflective, introspective place. I questioned whether I was so quick to jump to, oh, that's fake, because, yeah, it is the first of its kind, um, because I can't believe that that is what a full-bodied apparition looks like because I've never seen one or because I already have some preconceived notion of what one should look like or or because I just can't fully bring myself to believe that something like that exists. See, that is the paradox of the skeptical believer. We live in this headspace where, sure, anything is possible. The mysterious could be real. But there never seems to be enough evidence or real, undeniable experiences to prove to us that we can safely believe, no, that we can safely know beyond question that what we believe is real. I'm quite curious at this point and so early on in this podcast, even if I am able to definitively come to my own conclusion, some solid belief behind uh, shadow people or ghosts or demons, all that, am I always going to have this nagging doubt? It would be nice to not have that, to, to fully be in, you know? There have been too many liars and hoaxers throughout history, throughout my own life, who have really done this, uh, this paranormal world a disservice. Too many people trying to make a buck rather than find answers for the good of everyone, who, who have absolutely ruined our ability to just take something at face value. So I blame my hesitation to believe on the liars and the conmen and the shucksters out there, the, the fame chasers and the money makers. And fuck you guys. We could be so much further along, whether that be a fully 100% that, yes, the paranormal is real, or 100% it's not real and science is king. Either one would be better than living in this middle place, this, uh, this in-between. I fear I will always be straddling this fence because of the person and not necessarily anything supernatural that is untrue. I fear this, yes. 
but I still have faith that that won't be the case. I have faith that I can become more sure, more solid of my beliefs and my knowledge. I sure hope so. <laughs> With that in mind, um, I actually did some rearranging in the lineup I had planned. Uh, I was going to do another segment today, but just because this chord was struck in me, I wanted to do a show committed to the opposite of what we've been talking about. So far, we have focused heavily on the phenomenon itself, the actual apparitions and all of the supernatural bits. So I wanted to spend some time talking about what else could this all be? What are some non-paranormal explanations for the shadow person phenomenon? First up, we've talked about it. I've talked about it so many times, sometimes edging on knocking it, that it's going to be weird coming at it from a supportive angle. That's right, I am talking about sleep paralysis. I've been using this fantastic book for research uh, for this episode. It's called Sleep Paralysis, A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors of the Night. It's by Ryan Hurd. Link to check it out in the notes, of course. Uh, I, I really dragged my feet getting into it because that believer side to me still wants to desperately cling onto my deeply rooted and, yes, illogical, unfounded beliefs about the paranormal. But... That is not what we are doing here. That is not what I promised at the beginning of the show. We are going to be brave here and take a nice long look at the other side of the argument. So, I started reading the book and instantly became pleasantly involved in what the author had to say. I love that he approached the topic of sleep paralysis and hypnagogic hallucinations with a really open mind. Um, before even launching into the meat of it, the author states it's, it's not his intention in his book to pass judgment on the reality of spirits, but he does implore an open mind and heart in order to further explore sleep paralysis and its visions. I appreciated and uh, wasn't expecting this unstringent, unrigid atmosphere going into a book regarding the study and theories of sleep paralysis. Like, he's just reporting the facts, but without excluding people with faith or other ideas. Like, he's not trying to convince anyone of anything. Hard to explain, but when I tell you, as a skeptical believer, you will not be offended by anything he has to say, guys. So... According to his research, sleep paralysis nightmares are still a mystery to medical science, even though 8% of the world's population reports having these experiences at least once in their lives. Among college students, more than one out of four have experienced sleep paralysis with hallucinations. That is an incredibly high number and really calls into mind the theory that high stress times in our lives can encourage these types of experiences. Uh, college was stressful for me. How about you? So it does not surprise me that one in four statistic. According to the American Sleep Association website, sleep paralysis is characterized by the sensation of being unable to move while awakening from sleep. Sleep paralysis is described as a transitional state that occurs when a person experiences a temporary inability to react, move, or speak while asleep, falling asleep, or on awakening from sleep. The site's description goes on to say, 
Unfortunately, sleep paralysis can be accompanied by frightening hallucinations during sleep whereby, due to the paralysis and physical experiences, the person is left physically unable to react. These hallucinations can be very scary and often involve a supernatural creature or other person taunting or terrifying the individual, together with difficulty breathing and a feeling on, of pressure on one's chest. Another quite common type of hallucination involves either supernatural or human intruders lurking outside the person's window or entering their bedroom, leaving the sleeper with feelings of fear and dread. And those hallucinations that this website is referring to are what are called hypnagogic hallucinations. Hypnagogia is a term that simply means leading into sleep. From what I understand so far, they are specific to the sleep paralysis experience. There's also something called hypnopompic hallucinations that occur while one is coming out of sleep. So it would probably be more accurate for us to use hypnopompic as the overall term, but when speaking about these sleepy time hallucinations, people tend to favor hypnagogia as the umbrella term for both. In short, hypnagogia refers to the visions seen when a person's REM imagery merges with their waking world reality. I mean, this has happened to everyone, right? You don't actually have to be a paranormal enthusiast to have had this experience. Falling asleep and you think you see something, uh, waking up to a face right in your face— now, fortunately, I've never experienced sleep paralysis before, so whenever this would happen to me, my, my heart would immediately start beating out of my chest, my eyes would spring wide open, and I would do some rendition of the flailing arms man while I scrambled out of bed. The experience would always end just as quickly as I could get up, which was lucky for me. Um, it's really frightening to think that there are so many who fall victim to sleep paralysis as a condition and just have to endure whatever these waking nightmares have in store for them. It's just ugh, so awful. Um, Ryan Hurd says in his book, but also some variation of this theory regarding sleep paralysis can be found in most scientific papers written on the subject, that these visions that accompany the paralysis feel as real as waking life because they are occurring in a state of mind that is both part dream and part physical reality. It's an overlap of REM sleep and wakefulness. From an article on Science Direct, the author Belond Jalal posits that hypnagogic hallucinations or things like out-of-body experiences are chiefly mediated by activity in key regions in the right hemisphere of the brain, and he hypothesizes that patients with any damage to their right hemisphere should be less likely to have these sorts of hallucinations. I read this as they should be less likely to experience the paranormal, at least in relation to sleep paralysis, let alone see any shadowy figures or ghosts and the sort. And in case you didn't know, uh, because I, I didn't know some of this, the left hemisphere of the brain is mainly connected to abstract or logical thinking and speech. 
Um, whereas the right hemisphere is largely connected with image sensitivity. You've all heard that left-handed people are more likely to be artistic or creative as they are governed by their right hemisphere. So one can presume that left-handed people might be more likely to see ghostly visions or hypnagogic hallucinations, right? Uh, curious if that is verifiable. Somebody send me that article. So Looking at all of this, um, it brought up something for me, uh, and I'm going to share it with y'all. You know how I said at the beginning of all of this that while I want so much to believe in the paranormal, I don't have the types of personal experiences that would support a full-fledged belief in the paranormal. Well, I wonder if it's because my right hemisphere is damaged. When I was one year old, my family took me on a cross-country trip on Amtrak. So the story goes, I fell ill, had a fever, started having trouble breathing, stopped breathing, and went completely limp. They stopped the train, and the conductor came back and performed life-saving CPR on wee little baby Kristen. He called ahead to the next station to have somebody, you know, ready to take us to the hospital and continued to give me CPR. This guy, whoever he was, saved my life, and I will never know his name. So once at the hospital, I went into a coma, unsure if that was induced or just part of the progression of whatever was wrong with me. And for about a day, the entire left side of my body was paralyzed. It's called hemiplegia and is caused by a stroke of some sort. Uh, but the, the left side being paralyzed means that there may have been damage to my right hemisphere. Not that you guys needed to know any of this, but if what the guy in the Science Direct article was saying is true, then my own experience and lack of these types of hallucinations would be case in point. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of interesting to, to think about it that way. And also to consider whether that is why so many more people than not do not have these types of experiences, as a majority of people are right-handed, meaning they are left-brained. You guys follow? I'm confusing myself. So as the majority of the scientific community has truly come to this consensus that shadow figures are the result of sleep paralysis, let's talk a little bit about the possible causes of it and also things you yourself can do if you have had it or experience it and would like to try and make it stop. As terrifying as some of these occurrences are, I wouldn't blame you. I've included the link to a video in the show notes titled, What is Sleep Paralysis? The, um, the video does a really good job laying out the causes, which includes some of the things we've, we've heard before, such as sleeping on your back, regularly not getting enough sleep, having certain sleep disorders like narcolepsy, um, which might be considered under that umbrella of not getting enough sleep. But also they state that having poor mental health could contribute to having the experience. They refer to having a depressive mood or being stressed, but I think we could also uh, include actual mental disorders in there too, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which we're going to talk more about as another non-paranormal explanation of seeing shadow people in a few minutes. This video also mentioned a study done on pairs of twins who experienced sleep paralysis, which led to the discovery that having this sleep condition might actually be linked to our genetics. I haven't read this study personally, but I find that so interesting and I hadn't heard it before. So, 
Sleep paralysis is often self-diagnosable, and for most of these causes, the self-treatment should be pretty self-explanatory and easy, as they can simply be small lifestyle changes. If you habitually sleep on your back, knock it off. Sleep on your side, fam. If you regularly find yourself falling into a depressive or stressed state, there are resources and help out there these days. If you have narcolepsy or some other sleep disorder, uh, that's a little more complex, but definitely not out of reach for you as there are medications and psychotherapies that can be prescribed now that can be uh, immensely helpful. And if you don't get enough sleep on a regular basis, that is going to fall on you to be more vigilant about setting up a sleep and wake schedule for yourself that you will stick to. Unfortunately, according to many sources, there is no one universally established treatment for sleep paralysis, but it does look like there are options out there for sufferers of the condition. As for the hereditary theory, unfortunately, I'm not sure what could be done about that aside from just being aware that this might continue to happen and rewriting or rewiring your fear-based reactions to it when it does. Ryan Hurd actually mentions this in his book and details out some really great techniques for looking at this experience from a different perspective and states that with certain practices, you will have the ability to meet the fear that arises when you come face to face with the unknown. He basically says the key to lowering the frequency or intensity of these waking nightmares can be accomplished by feeling safe again in your own home or bedroom or whatever by lowering your stress and confronting your fear. You want to become aware of your own expectation effect, which is kind of a looping caused by your expectation that something bad will happen. In short, the paralysis occurring can maybe bring up uh, past experiences that are similar, like being held down or attacked or violated, and the subconscious connection is made between the way it physically feels with those memories. Unfortunately, in that semi-sleep state, the brain interprets the experience into a narrative that plays out via hypnagogic hallucination. He says to also be aware that if these paralysis hallucinations should start happening suddenly, it could have something very much to do with your own core beliefs and maybe an indication of a serious internal crisis about the meaning of life and existence. These crises can often occur during transitionary times in our lives and recommends you ask yourself, why am I having these experiences now at this time of my life? He goes further into detail about the specific techniques and new habits you can form in order to help ground yourself or de-stress, so please check out the book if this is sounding like something that could be helpful to you. The next non-paranormal explanation for the occurrence of shadow people is psychological dysfunctions or disorders like schizophrenia. People who live with schizophrenia suffer with multiple cognitive mood and behavioral dysfunctions with the most well-known symptoms being auditory and visual hallucinations. According to a paper written by Payman Poor Ganad called The Psychotic Transition, the schizophrenic is said to fail to recognize the imaginative quality of imaginative experiences, but rather takes the content of a mental image as genuine perception. Pair this with the schizophrenic's thought disorder, their sense of delusion, and an out-of-control paranoia, and it surprises me not at all that the shadow person can exist in these folks' world. 
And in just the minute amount of research I've looked at so far on this particular psychosis, I, man, I am, I'm, I'm just speechless. I can't help but feel so terrible for anyone suffering with schizophrenia. It's, it's epically hard. And I sincerely hope that if you are listening, you have a good support system and you are getting all of the help that you want or may need. Um, just, wow. <laughs> the things that people are put through in life, man. Okay. The third non-paranormal explanation concerns the use of drugs. But going to focus solely on methamphetamine use as it seems to take up the majority of drug use related shadow person encounters. Many addicts report seeing shadow people after prolonged periods of use, usually due to sleep deprivation. But there is also a conspiratorial component to meth use. So the addition of that someone's out to get me mindset to the sleep deprivation certainly can contribute to that experience. Types of hallucinations meth addicts can experience include olfactory, gustatory, and also auditory, but more commonly reported are the tactile and visual hallucinations, which I can imagine could make for a very traumatizing entity interaction. And the final non-paranormal explanation is something that can happen to anybody. It's a twofer. Either one on its own can make us see something that isn't there, but I think the combo of both at the same time can certainly make us believe it truly is. Pareidolia and heightened emotions. A fancy way of saying you and your dumbass brain scared yourself silly. Tell me you've never been alone and suddenly started feeling those hairs stand up on the back of your neck, or felt someone right behind you only to turn to find nothing there, or been walking alone at night down a dark street through a patch of trees. You hear something and pick up the pace. There's something behind you. Your paranoia kicks up and you're looking around now. You see or sense movement. That really sends your fear into overdrive. There's, there's actually something behind you guys. Your fear seems to build on itself and it's something you can't even help. I mean, you're about to be murdered for Christ's sake. Seriously, for the love of God, look behind you. According to Merriam-Webster, pareidolia is the tendency to perceive a specific, often meaningful image in a random or ambiguous visual pattern. Jesus on toast, the bunny cloud, hat man in the shadows. While at one time it was believed to be related somehow to psychosis, we now know it is a perfectly healthy tendency that everyone has. But we can see just how easy it might be for any healthy person to encounter a shadow person, to truly believe they have had an actual paranormal experience complete with full-figure apparition and insurmountable paralyzing fear, right? Can it account for all of the experiences reported, though? Can any of the non-paranormal explanations I've discussed today combined account for all experiences? it would certainly make me feel less crazy to think so. What do you guys think? I'd really love to know. Have you had your own shadow person encounter that is totally explainable via a non-paranormal avenue? I'd love to hear it. It's fascinating to see what lengths our minds will go to. And if this episode pissed you off or riled your feathers, tell me. I was kind of shook in my own semi-convictions. It's okay, guys. It's okay to question what you thought you knew, and it's okay to examine your beliefs. It doesn't make the world any less magnificent. 
You got a bone to pick or a story to tell? Hit me up on the Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, the handle for which is at ParanormGirlPod, or email me at ParanormGirlPod at gmail.com. Hey, by the way, if you have enjoyed the content thus far, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss another show, and it also helps me out immensely in getting some new listeners. This train is going to keep on chugging forward, but we will, alas, be moving on to another subject before too long. So if you want to join the Shadow Person Convo, nay, revolution, now is the time. The clock is a-tickin'. Speaking of time ticking, it is now time for my final note. No one can claim with 100% certainty that there aren't some perfectly explainable encounters with the paranormal. Definitely none of the followers or listeners of this show, anyhow, because we are here to examine the subject from all sides and are unafraid to change our minds if the right evidence presents itself. And we have certainly heard a lot of evidence thus far, haven't we? A lot of stories and encounters, some theories, and now we have real, verifiable science, the logical side of things. We now understand both sides of this specific argument. And as the conclusion grows closer, I see some sort of picture starting to form as we fit the pieces into place. And it feels nice, right? Settling into the comfort of knowing that sometimes it is just a need for more sleep. Or a change in our position as we tuck ourselves in at night. It does. Like a nice, cozy safety blanket. Nothing can get you. Nothing to be afraid of. Except for the feeling that that's not all there is to the story. And your eyes slowly open staring at your dark, empty doorway, waiting. But for what? There's nothing to fear, remember? Safety blanket? Cozy? Right? Stay safe, you guys. Keep that nightlight on. And sleep with one eye open. <laughs>